Nehemiah chapter 1. It's 11 verses long, so we'll be looking at the whole chapter. Uh, One thing that David forgot to mention or didn't mention earlier is that next Sunday after the worship service, we're having a new members and inquirers class. So whether you are looking to join the church, maybe you've been attending for a little while but you're not yet a member, or maybe you're just curious about what our church is and what we believe and what we do here and where we think God is leading us in the future, uh, we'd love you to come and attend that class. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. If you do plan on coming, please sign up just because we're going to have lunch together. and want to make sure we have enough food for everybody. We also have child care for little kids, so we want to know if you have kids so we can help provide child care for that. That happens next week. Well, we're starting a new series this morning called Gospel Rebuild. We're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah and that famous story of God rebuilding the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word, starting in Nehemiah 1. We'll read the whole chapter together. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is God's word. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord our God, We simply ask you to speak, for your servants listen. 
I pray that you would reveal to us the great glories of heaven. Show us the mercy of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And equip us with the power of your Spirit that we too might be your servants. That we might bring everything to you, Lord God, in prayer. Hear us, we pray, in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen. I want to begin by showing you a meme, a meme that the New York Times called the meme of the year in 2016. Now, I would tell you more about this made-up award, but I ran out of free articles this month, and so here it is. Now, if you can't see it from the back of the room, I hope you can, but it's a, there's a cartoon dog, and he's sitting at his kitchen table, he's drinking a cup of coffee, and literally everything is on fire all around him, and instead of panicking, he is saying, this is fine. Have you ever felt like the dog in this meme? I feel like that all the time. It's been a rough year and a half, Amen. Sometimes I, I turn on the news or I pick up my phone or I scroll through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and the social media and it seems like something new is on fire every single day. How do we hold things together when the world is falling apart? Is it okay if we're not okay? What do we do if the flames are getting closer and we're not fine. This morning we're starting a new sermon series that we're calling Gospel Rebuild. For the next nine weeks, we're going to be walking our way through the book of Nehemiah, an Old Testament book that shows us what happens when God takes broken people and puts them back together again. Whether it's broken people, or broken cities, or even broken churches, nothing is too broken for God. God can and will restore your life. He can and will restore your family. He can and will restore everything that is broken in the world when Jesus comes again to make all things new. Now, on one level, it looks like the book of Nehemiah is a book about leadership. A lot of books and Bible studies have been written about the book of Nehemiah focusing on leadership lessons from this great man. And in a sense, that's very true. Nehemiah is a bold, charismatic, faithful leader. And we'll stop along the way to see many, many leadership lessons from the life of Nehemiah, this great man of God. But as important as Nehemiah is, as great of a leader as Nehemiah is, I think the book is really about so much more than that. I think that this book is really about Nehemiah's God. I think it's about a God who always keeps his promises. I think it's about a God who always forgives his people's sins I think it's about a God who looks at the rubble that our lives have become, takes those broken pieces of broken people, and puts our lives back together again. 
Now, of course, God uses us to do His work in this world. He can and does use His people. In a world filled with wrecking balls and demolition crews, God calls us to be architects. He calls us to be builders. You don't have to constantly tear people down. You can build people up. You can be positive, affirming, encouraging. You can make a difference in this world. You really can. But never forget that it's not our work that ultimately makes the difference. It's God's work. Our church is God's church. And our city is God's city. And our families and loved ones are God's family. God planted the Garden of Eden. God built the city of Jerusalem. God rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. And he can rebuild our families and our church and our nation. Nothing is too great for the power and purposes of God. We're just the workers. We're just swinging the hammers. We're just mixing the concrete. We're just handing out the groceries. We're just loving our neighbors. No conditions, no strings attached. So where do we begin? Fittingly, we begin with prayer. Now, I say fittingly because we'll see over and over in this series that Nehemiah was a great man of prayer. In fact, I think it's one of the secrets of his greatness. Great men and great women are great men and women of prayer. There are nine prayers in the book of Nehemiah. This prayer, the first prayer in the book, is the longest of the nine prayers, which means that Nehemiah was constantly praying. I think if we're honest, many of us prayer, pray as a last resort. You know, if everything else fails and we run out of options, well, then we go to God in prayer. Well, that's not Nehemiah. For Nehemiah, prayer was a first resort. He accomplished great things on his knees. He overcame amazing, outstanding, impossible obstacles by going to God in prayer. Now, with that in mind, here's our outline, just two points this week. In verses 1 through 3, we'll see the problem of pain. And then, in the rest of the chapter, verses 4 through 11, we'll see the power of prayer. What did Nehemiah pray? How did Nehemiah pray? Why did he pray? How does God use our prayers to accomplish great things in this world that he's created? How does God use our prayers to rebuild broken cities and broken families and heal hurting people? How do we pray like Nehemiah prayed? How do we pray like Jesus prayed? Let's take a closer look. We begin with the problem of pain. Nehemiah prayed because God's people were hurting. Nehemiah prayed because the people of Israel were discouraged. Verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, this, I, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. 
and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, there's a lot going on in those verses. So here's the backstory. Nehemiah was Jewish, but at the time of this writing, he wasn't living in Israel. He was living in Susa, the winter home of the king of Persia, because of something called the exile. He refers to that in these verses. The exile, the survivors of the exile. What's the exile? When 586 B.C., after years and years of idolatry and adultery and murder and violence and oppression, God had exiled the people of Judah. He sent the southern kingdom, the, the two southern tribes of Judah, into exile. Now, the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, were even worse, and so they were exiled by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The point is, at the time of this writing, it was not a good time to be an Israelite. The people of Israel had double-crossed the Babylonians. The Babylonians had come to the city of Jerusalem. They surrounded the city. They laid siege against the city. People couldn't leave the city. No supplies could come into the city. And the people were literally starving to death. They were terrified of this great Babylonian army that had surrounded them. Eventually, the people surrendered, and those that survived were taken into captivity, deported away from the promised land into the land of Babylon, a place where they didn't understand the language, a place where people worshipped gods that were not the true God of Israel, a place where they knew nothing of the culture. They were literally on an island alone, separated from God and his promises. The only people that remained were the poorest and the weakest people, Jerusalem, the great city of God, the great city of David, was lying in ruins, a veritable ghost town. In 586 B.C., after the exile, most sensible people would say that Israel has been destroyed forever. Israel has ceased to exist. Israel has been wiped off the map. It's finally over for the people of God. Except it wasn't over. If you have faith in the true and living God, it's never over. God is with you and will do his work, not because of you, but because he is mighty and gracious and good. Forty-seven years after the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, forty-seven years after they destroyed the temple, the house of God, forty-seven years after they tore down the walls that protected the people from their enemies, the Persians, led by King Cyrus, conquered the Babylonians. And then Cyrus said to the people of Israel, you can return back home. 
The exile was over. The people's long national nightmare had come to an end. The Israelites were ecstatic. They were overjoyed. The book of Ezra is about the first group of exiles who returned to the nation of Israel to rebuild this once great city to restore the people of God to their rightful home. Except it didn't happen. When we meet Nehemiah in verse 1, the city of Jerusalem is still in shambles. No temple, no walls, no hope. This building project which, which began with such great fanfare and enthusiasm slowly ground to a halt. In the face of a pressure campaign launched by a group of cynics and naysayers who frustrated the Israelites in their building project at every turn. Meanwhile, the people of Jerusalem weren't faring much better than the city. According to Nehemiah's brother, who brings a report from the city of Jerusalem, they were in great trouble and great shame. In Hebrew, the word great trouble refers to their physical condition, and great shame refers to their emotional condition. They were physically beat down, they were wounded, they were weak, but they were also discouraged. They could see no hope on the horizons. They had lost their faith in the God who can do the impossible, and there was nowhere left to turn. Nehemiah heard this news, he felt their pain, and he was devastated. Are you devastated? There are hurting people all around us. Some of them go to this church. Some of them stopped coming to this church. Some of them stopped believing in Jesus at all. What about our unbelieving friends? What about our, our neighbors who don't yet know Jesus? Are you troubled by them? Are, are you as troubled by their condition as Nehemiah was troubled for the people of Israel? Now keep in mind that Nehemiah probably had never met most of these hurting people. There's no indication in the text that he had ever even been to the city of Jerusalem. And yet his heart broke for them. They weren't merely strangers. They were His people. They were sons and daughters of the Most High God. The hurting people in our city are image bearers of the Most High God, just like us. Whether or not they know Jesus, whether or not they believe in Jesus, they are created in the image of God, and therefore they have dignity and value and worth. Amen? The people in, in our church who are hurting are not only image bearers of God, they are, but they are sons and daughters of God by faith, adopted into the family of faith through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. They are our brothers and sisters. Do you remember what Jesus said? He looked around at the disciples and he said, these are my brothers and sisters. This is my mother. This is my father. We are family because of Christ. The hurting people around us should matter to you? Do they matter to you? Do you care? You can't help if you don't care. 
Nehemiah cared. He was concerned. And so we read in verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The problem of pain drove Nehemiah to his knees, where he discovered the power of prayer. That's where we're going next. Part two, Nehemiah and the power of prayer. How did Nehemiah pray? How does his prayer show us how we should pray? How can we learn to pray like Nehemiah prayed? How would this world change for the better if God's people humbled themselves and prayed? Now, the first thing we see is that Nehemiah's prayer was emotional. In verse 4, we were told that Nehemiah sat down and wept and mourned. As Christians, God wants us to pray emotional prayers. He wants us to pray urgently and expectantly. He wants us to pour out our hearts to God. He wants us to be deeply troubled by sin, our own sin and the sins that we see in the world around us. He wants us to care deeply about hurting people. He wants us to have a burning desire to see God's kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants us to be passionate about His glory and His grace. When we pray urgent, passionate prayers, we pray like Jesus prayed. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before going to the cross, He prayed so urgently that sweat poured down His face like blood. As he looked out at the lost city of Jerusalem, seeing the very people who would crucify him, he wept and mourned over this great city. The city that was doomed unless they embraced Jesus as their great God and King. When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed prayers of forgiveness for the people that were crucifying him. And then he cried out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Nehemiah, sitting in the palace, absorbed the pain of the exiles, fervently crying out to God on their behalf. Jesus having left the great throne room of heaven, hanging from a cross, absorbed the sin of the exiles, becoming an exile so that all of us, all of God's people, might be brought home. Jesus, like the people in Jerusalem, suffered great trouble and great shame. Physical anguish, emotional anguish as he hung from the cross. He traded beauty for ashes so that we might trade ashes for beauty. The rubble of sin for the city of God. That's the heart of Jesus. That's how much God loves his people. And when that love grips your heart, you'll stop praying cold 
emotionless, formulaic prayers. You will pray with your heart on fire because you'll see how much Jesus has done for us. God's people pray passionate prayers. The second thing we see is that Nehemiah's prayer was focused. It wasn't merely passionate, though it was. It was focused. In verse 4, we're told that Nehemiah fasted. Fasting is a way of focusing our mind so that we can pray focused prayers. Do you ever, do you ever get distracted when you pray? Do you ever find yourself praying about one thing and then all of a sudden you're thinking about something else entirely? That happens to me all the time. What do you do? Well, have you ever considered fasting? Now, I realize that's very overwhelming for many of us. Uh, many of us uh, can hardly imagine missing a meal, much less more than one meal. And yet, f- fasting is a way to focus our mind on the promises and purposes of God. Try this. I'll give you a bit of word of encouragement. It's not as hard as it seems if you'd like to fast. Try eating a meal on Thursday night. Skip breakfast and lunch the next day. And then break your fast on Friday night with a, with a feast of celebration. But don't just fast as in ceasing to do something. Use that fasting time as a time for God to focus your mind on His world and His priorities. Let that time of fasting focus your mind so that you can pray with urgency for the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, if that's sort of level one, but if fasting is seeming too overwhelming for you and you remain unconvinced, how about this? Put your phone away. When you pray, put your phone physically in the other room where you can't hear it buzzing and beeping and doing all the things that our phones do constantly throughout the day and spend 15 minutes, aim for 15 minutes of focused prayer. You can do it. And then once you hit 15 minutes, aim for a half an hour. And then once you hit a half an hour, aim for 45 minutes. And once you hit 45 minutes, I bet you could pray for an hour, focusing on God, urgently crying out to God. Again, I understand. It's hard. The world is filled with distractions. I'm sure this didn't come easy for Nehemiah. Jesus fasted for 40 days. I can't even imagine what that would be like. But remember, Powerful prayers are focused prayers. Powerful prayers, the kind of prayers that bring heaven to earth, are focused prayers. Third thing, Nehemiah was persistent. In verse 4, we're told that Nehemiah prayed for days. In verse 6, we're told that he prayed day and night. In verse 1, we're told that he started praying in the month of Chislev, which is like November or December, and he stopped praying somewhere around the time of Nisan, which is March or April. In other words, he prayed for four months. 
before he went in to see the king of Persia, which was a big deal, to talk to them about the city of Jerusalem and this building project, he prayed for four months. Praying for people that he did not know who lived in a place that he had never been. Here's a challenge for you. You people who desire to pray like Nehemiah, who desire to pray like Jesus. There's a room right through those double doors. Some of you have never been to that room. It's a fun room. There's little cards on a table representing all the missionaries in our church. Find a card with the name of a person that you do not know who lives in a place that you have never been. And then pray for that person for four months. If you think, well, four months, that's kind of arbitrary. I don't know if I can make it. Pray for them for three months. That will take you from now until the end of the year. See what happens. See what happens to you. See what happens to that person. See what happens to that place where that person is serving God. There is power in persistent prayers of going to God in prayer day after day and night after night. Come tell me about what happened. I will take you out to lunch at the Chick-fil-A of your choice. (laughs) Pick one, Nine Mile Road, Mall, hey man, knock yourself out. And you can tell me about what God did, but you'll never see what God did unless you pray. You'll never see what God could do unless you have the faith of Nehemiah who cried out to God, believing that that God would answer his prayers. Nehemiah prayed persistently. Fourth thing, Nehemiah prayed biblically. Nehemiah prayed biblical prayers. Now, if we were to go through this uh, prayer line by line, phrase by phrase, we would see that this one short prayer is a mosaic of about 20 different Old Testament scriptures. He calls, Nehemiah absolutely knew his Bible, and because he knew his Bible, he prayed his Bible. He called God the God of heaven. That's probably a reference to Genesis 1 and the creation story. He calls him the Lord, Yahweh, which means I am that I am. That's probably a reference to the book of Exodus where where Moses met God in the burning bush. In verses 8 and 9, I won't cite all the verses, but just in verses 8 and 9, he summarizes 10 different passages from Exodus Leviticus and Deuteronomy 10. Now, sometimes when I'm praying, I struggle to find find the right words. I think we all struggle with that sometimes. We, We want to pray, but we just, we can't figure out what words to say to God. When that happens, there's an easy solution. Pray the scriptures Pick a passage of the scriptures, maybe a familiar passage. One of my favorite psalms is one of the most famous psalms that there is. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Pray that psalm back to God. O Lord my God, you are my shepherd. You love me. You care for me. You are strong. You are mighty. 
when I wander, you leave the 99 to come and find me and get me. And when in my obstinacy, I refuse to go, you break my legs and put me on your shoulders and you carry me back home. Because of your goodness, I shall not want Lord, I want so many things, and yet I have all that I need in you. Help me learn the difference between the things that I want and the things that I need. Let me be content in you, Lord God. Let me find satisfaction in you. Fill me that I may not have any anxiety or any worry. Do you see? You can pray word by word, and line by line. And if you know this passage, you can pray it yourself. But if you don't know the Bible very well, you can open your Bible, and with the Bible in your hand, pray line by line and note by note, and you will pray God's word back to God. And you will see a difference, because my words make no difference. God's words have the power to change the world. God's words have the power to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. God's words have the power to energize weak and tired and discouraged people. They are living, they are active. Pray biblical prayers. Fifth thing, Nehemiah prayed confessional prayers. Nehemiah was a humble leader, and so Nehemiah confessed his sins. Verse 6, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. There's personal confession. Nehemiah confesses his own sins to God. There's corporate confession. He confesses the sins of his, his fathers and his people. We do both in worship services every week. We confess our sins personally, the personal sins that we have, con- have committed. We confess our corporate sins, the sins that we have committed as a church. We say, I have sinned. I have failed to love God. I have failed to love my neighbors. But we don't stop there. We say, we have sinned. We have failed to love God. We have failed to love our neighbors. Not just me. We Our fathers, our church, our nation, we have sinned, and we need Jesus. Now, when you're praying this way, you can think about it like this. When our kids were very little, uh, we were driving down the road in our minivan, and we were on the freeway, and one of our little kids, who shall remain nameless, there are only two, so 50-50 shot if you want to guess, but we're driving down the road, and one of our little kiddos, beautiful little kid, reaches his or her foot over to the door that opens the automatic door in our van. And I looked back and saw this and said, Stop! Do not do this! Do not open the door! And then this little beautiful cherubic face looks back at me and says, Toes did it! (laughs) And I 
being a minister, a man of God, looked at this little person and said, you are responsible for the actions of toes. <laughs> we are the body of Christ. The hands, the feet, the arms, the legs. When one part of the body sins, we sin. To paraphrase the great leader Nehemiah, you are responsible for the actions of toes. Because we are one body, the body of Christ. Nehemiah's prayer was a confessional prayer. He confessed his sins, but he confessed his people's sins. He didn't run. He didn't hide. He didn't say, it wasn't me. He was open and honest with God. Are you? Sixth thing. Last thing, I think the best thing. Nehemiah prayed covenantal prayers. Now, here's what I mean. Nehemiah's prayer, throughout this prayer, Nehemiah appeals to the concept of God's grace. He appeals to the promises of God. Verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 9, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I, God, will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. That's covenant language. He's saying, I will give you a place. I will give you an everlasting home. I will give you peace. I will give you rest. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. We can pray like Nehemiah prayed because we're loved. We are God's chosen people, chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. We are God's servants set free by Jesus from our slavery to sin and death. We can pray like Nehemiah prayed because God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. He is the fulfillment of the covenant of grace. All of the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus, who is the true temple, whose body was torn down and then put back together again when he rose from the dead. Jesus is the true Israel. Remember, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus is the answer to all of our prayers. The true and better Nehemiah who leads his people to a better city, an eternal city, a heavenly city. Remember what Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, would I have not told you? There's a heavenly city in New Jerusalem awaiting the people of God because of Jesus. 
That's why we pray in Jesus' name. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are taking hold of all the promises of God. We're saying Jesus was faithful to the covenant in my place. He obeyed when I didn't obey. Jesus accepted the covenant curses in my place. I should have been on that cross. I should be on that cross. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, was on the cross in order to fulfill all of God's promises, not through me, but in spite of me. Nehemiah's prayer was a covenantal prayer. He took hold of the promises of God through Jesus. Just as Nehemiah prayed for people who he had never met in places he had never been, so too he prayed through Jesus, the Messiah that he would meet when he saw Jesus for the first time in heaven. Is your house on fire this morning? Are you feeling fine? Is it okay to come to church if you're not feeling fine? I hope so, otherwise I've been doing this very wrong for a long time. (laughs) The problem of pain is no match for the power of prayer. Go to God in prayer. He will answer you because of Jesus. The true Nehemiah, the leader of leaders, the hero of heroes the Savior of sinners. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are a God who puts broken people back together again. We thank you for our brother Nehemiah, though we are separated from him by several centuries, many centuries. We thank you, Lord God, that we worship you just as he did. And we pray that we would learn to pray just as he did. We ask you that you would show us your power and your glory. Show us your mercy and your forgiveness. Through Jesus, in the Spirit we pray. Amen.